0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions supply.
0: Hey, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Broadway Teachers Podcast. Hi, Pam.
1: Hello, Gordon. And today we have such a great conversation with the lovely and talented Andrew Reynolds. He uh, was at our event a few years ago. And we were so excited to have him there. And of course, now he has exploded on the scene with The Prom, with the hit of The Prom on Netflix last season. Um, and of course, his work in Book of Mormon and Falsettos. I mean, I think the thing that I um, really love about him is that he has so, so much range. I mean, he can be so funny, so serious. He has that amazing voice. And I think you'll find in this interview that, um, he, you know, he had such a um, wicked sense of humor that... Uh, We all enjoyed, and and we're happy to have him at the event.
0: He is hilarious. He is irreverent. Please welcome the hugely talented Andrew Rannells. Here's our conversation. The following was recorded live at the Broadway Teachers Workshop, an annual program that brings theater teachers together with the Broadway community for behind-the-scenes classes, workshops, intimate discussions, and Broadway shows in New York City and online. Learn more at www.broadwayteachinggroup.com.
2: Well, that's very nice. Great entrance applause. That's a nice way to start. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) Did you just have lunch? All right, all right, great. So everybody's alert. This is That's
0: group fantastic. E I and this is my first appearance here because I was out of town yesterday for a family event, but nice to see you all um, I uh, am so delighted by just the last five sessions have been amazing and I'm especially overjoyed to have with us one of my favorite actors uh, in New York he's um, uniquely skilled at uh, at comedy at uh uh at Musicality, um, he works with equal ease and grace on stage and on television, uh, and he's right now appearing on Broadway in The Boys in the Band. So I know you've welcomed him, but here he is again. Andrew Rannells. Hi, thank you very um, much for that, Gordon. Andrew's working every night with Morgan Holbrook, our yes. stage manager, who is his stage manager there. Um, so he's going to tell us embarrassing stories about Morgan later. Really keeping um, us
2: on our toes there.
0: But for Morgan. now, let's hear some embarrassing stories
2: about you. Sure. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, so where are you from? Omaha, Nebraska. Woo! Is anyone from Nebraska? You are? And my last time was Rannell. What? What? What are you talking about? I mean, chances are good. We're somehow related. There's not that many of us. Where, do you, where are you in Nebraska? Omaha. Uh, 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 we have the same great Grandpa. Oh, get out. Well, I Wait, never met she him. is your cousin. Yes. He literally. Is. That's not my thing. The Randall side, yeah, we were not particularly for whatever reason. Like, my dad didn't, because he was like one of two kids, so we didn't uh, have as much contact with the Randall side for some reason, um, as I guess what happens mostly with, like mothers, you're closer to their family, I guess. Um, but nice to meet you, cousin. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, this is gonna be an Instagram winner,
0: winner I know it later. <laughs> what school um. are you at in Omaha? Right now I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I teach K
2: through 12 Oh, very nice, all right, very nice.
0: So, so you went to high school in, in Omaha? In Omaha, yes. I went to an
2: all boys Catholic school uh, called Creighton Prep with really no arts program. At all, um, so I uh, went outside of school and found my sort of my education and all of my you know teen acting experience through uh, community theaters and children theater, and I and that's sort of where I had to approach that. So I was always very envious of schools that had an arts program. I just did not come from one of them, so I had to kind of be a little more creative with um, with how I found. That how did you even know that was what you're looking for? Um, I grew up very close to a children's theater in Omaha. That um, you know, they were they had shows nine months out of the year, and then the summer they taught classes. And um, my mother at some point suggested that you know she was like, maybe you should try an acting class so I went and it like nine and I started based classes, on your were, general theatricality or? yeah and like just you know she was she had you know I'm one of five kids and I think she was trying to find sort of what each of her kids activity was going to be and it wasn't going to be sports <laughs> and it wasn't really school and it was so she I think she was just like well oh, fuck um theater <laughs> Should we try theater? <laughs> They'll so, take anyone. Yeah, so that worked out well. Um, but yeah, my mom sort of very gently like dropped me off at this theater and was like, see well, if you like it. And then I just stuck around. So all through grade school and I did shows at this uh, at this children's theater. And then slowly there was like weirdly a lot of community theater in Omaha. So a lot of dinner theaters because this was the early 90s. So there's a lot of dinner theaters. And um, so I, that was like my first... Exposure to like professional theater was performing in front of people while they were eating. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what show you were in? Of course. Um, of course. Uh, I was, the, my first show at the Firehouse Dinner Theater was um, on Golden Pond. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was not, I mean, I was the only kid. I mean, I will say, maybe this is a good way to sort of, like, segue into this. Not having a strong arts program at school, I was mostly working with adults. So that is, in itself, like, a bit of a minefield. Because, like, not everybody is good with kids. Not everybody has kids' best interest at heart. Um, So, yeah, I Grew up sort of quickly learning, like, that's someone I should trust. That's not someone I should trust. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until I was in high school, and it was just a a very brief program. It it used to be called um, NFAA. Now it's called Young Arts. And it's a really wonderful college scholarship audition. And that was the first time, really, I was with other kids my age. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so much easier. Um, Because you're not juggling adult personalities as a child. Interesting. Um, yeah, which is tricky.
0: Well, how yeah. did you um, how did you figure out uh, who you wanted to emulate and who you wanted to kind of listen to and who not to?
2: Um, I mean, there's always there was a couple. There was like one woman named Louise Filbert that was like sort of a star in the community theater, and she was she was Ethel and on Golden Pond, um, and she was really. I think she was also a mother, so she really looked out for me. And then my first like sort of a I, the class was wait for it. Crimes of the heart, ages 9 through 14. (laughs) So that was, like, my first, like, serious acting class. And this woman, Pam Carter, taught it. And she really, like, took me... She really took care of me through my teen years and, like, just sort of guided me and steered me away from, you know, certain things or certain people or... And, you know, I think it was a different time, too. Like, I was going to bars at, like, 15 and nobody batted an eye. And I don't know if that was because it was Nebraska or just because... I was only like one of a handful of young people who were walking in with this group of rowdy adults. So I was around a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been around, I guess. Did you, you see
0: Shows for Days, the play at Lincoln Center? Was I, Doug, I did uh,
2: some early readings of Shows for Days,
0: yeah. So this was about his experiences yeah. in community theater in Pennsylvania, and it, it sounds a lot like what you're describing. Very similar, yeah. Um, and when you finally did start working with people your own age or peers... Um, did you have a sort of a greater comfort level or a greater um, Yeah, because everybody
2: sort of has the same enthusiasm and the same, um, you know, I think the knee jerk then as a kid, if you're around adults, is to like be as cynical as the adults and there's not maybe as much like pure joy to it. So I remember that at that young arts conference, like going down there and being like, everybody's excited and I don't feel like a nerd for being excited, um, which I think you really have to like, damper when you're around adults you can't be that excited about doing a show or opening night or be too sad about closing night because but that's all stuff that obviously should be felt but it wasn't until i was you know a little later in high school that i was like oh it's okay to be excited about this stuff and now i'm still excited yeah (laughs) yeah because you do find i mean new york was a whole when i started working in new york and wherever it was if it was you know, I got my equity card at the Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater and everybody was thrilled to be there. And there was a real lack of cynicism about... Because we were all young and everybody was either getting their card or had just gotten their card. So it was important for me to find those people that were excited and that mm-hmm. I didn't feel judged by being excited about.
0: It's interesting because that's still a rare commodity yeah. In, in, yeah. in our field because sure. uh,
2: you grow thick skin. Yeah. Um. Well, and you don't want to like... Yeah, you don't want to injure yourself. You want to sort of guard your own feelings. So it's hard to, there's always, you know, I remember when I was in the ensemble of Hairspray and there were like 22-year-old, very jaded chorus girls in that show. And I was like, how did you get here so quickly? Um, why are you so angry? <laughs> we're doing a musical on Broadway. We should be thrilled. Yeah, but. Yeah.
0: So, so out of high school, um, what were your options desires for college
2: well it was um i knew i wanted to come to new york i knew that was like the goal so my, i knew my option i was like nyu i guess um but i couldn't afford to go to nyu and the scholarships they were offering were not helpful at all so i was like what else is in new york and i found this school marymount manhattan so i was like i guess i'll go there um so i picked it based on location only essentially. Like I went and visited the school. I auditioned. I like sat in on some classes and I was like, seems right. Um, so I just like, that's where I ended up. But the downfall and what I tell young people now, particularly high school age kids now, if you can, if you can avoid going to school, college in New York city, I think it's a better option because within a month of being here, I was auditioning for rent. I was going to like open calls for things and and then once you sort of see that as an option, I was like, well, I'm going to skip class and go audition for Bernie Telsey because that's what I want to be doing anyway. Did they
0: allow that there? Uh,
2: no, but like, you know, you hear stories all the time about people, even at Juilliard, people like they say they're sick and then they get cast in a show and then they have to make a decision. Like, you know, um, I think that happens any place, but there's there's just so much opportunity to... Um, explore outside of academics that two years into college I was like I'm gonna drop out and I got a job and I started working and and it you know it ultimately led me to a good place but I sort of bypassed all of the academic stuff which you know I certainly regret I mean I it's hard to say regret because I'm very happy with the way that my career has sort of taken shape but um had I had a couple more years I think of like a safety net of school it would have been good
0: Have you compensated for that in any way personally? Like, do you ever feel like you need to just wool gather? And
2: well, it was interesting, like, having friends who didn't have that experience. So, my best friend who I met at Young Arts, her name is Zuzana Sharkovsky, and she went to Barnard and then she went to grad school at ART. So, I just sort of watched what she was doing and then tried to implement it into whatever regional theater show I was doing. Like, I remember getting cast in Hedwig at, like, 22 in Austin, Texas. And I was like, I'm going to make this, like, my version of acting school. And I, like, really doubled down on all my rehearsals and my research and all of that stuff because I was like, I I wanted to have that experience. But when you're putting a show up... In two weeks for an audience, you don't get that luxury of, like, let's really dig into the Fantastics and see, like, what you know, <laughs> what's going in on inside of Matt. Um, you don't get that luxury. So I was like, I'm going to treat that particular show like that's going to be my... My school. Did she give you like a reading list or? I I mean, kind of. Yeah. We like take books that she read and I would, you know, it's like respect for acting and all those things. And um, yeah, I just tried my best to sort of. And then along the way, you end up working with people who are so much more talented than you are that you just sort of follow their lead and like, you know, try to mimic as much as possible.
0: Right. Just steal from from the best. Like I remember like working
2: with Barbara Walsh and Jonathan Dukuchitz and I had Been such fans of theirs, I'd seen them on the Tony Awards when I was a kid. Um, Barbara was in falsettos and Jonathan was in the Who's Tommy, and then working with them at Hairspray and just being like at like bothering them to no end with questions about like rehearsals and how does the process work. And yeah, Barbara actually gave me like the best advice ever, which is and you'll appreciate this because it was during a note session. And I was an understudy, and Jack O'Brien had seen me go on, and he was like, Andrew, you were late for the this entrance and i was like well i was late because and i started to explain why (laughs) i was late and barbara was sitting next to me and she put her hand on my leg and she went (laughs) so i just stopped talking and then afterwards she was like just say thank you she was like at a note session she was like you can ask later she was like but don't ask in front of the whole company and she was like just say thank you And she was like and by the way you don't have to take the note she was like, if you get a note that's like you don't agree with, don't take it because it's your performance at this point. So but she was like, just say thank you. Don't argue, <laughs> like, right. especially with Jack O'Brien. <laughs> I, yeah, thank that's down. probably
0: a good idea. Yeah. It's it, it definitely I've found in taking notes from producers, it's much easier to smile and nod and say thank yeah. you and wait until you've amassed enough notes that you yeah. have an area of concentration. Something's not right here. Um, and you address it however you want. But if you're late for an entrance, like I, I would make that entrance. I would,
2: Well, yeah. I, I would,
0: I would take that note.
2: Yes. I would be like, <laughs> but my tie was, yeah, whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so I heard you before you moved to New York, you were already writing jingles. Is this true? Someone that is not that you, true.
2: So someone, someone I sang a jingle.
0: Yeah, someone said that you wrote a jingle for what was it, Morgan? Oh no, I sang a <laughs> jingle
2: for Skateland, like a roller rink. So was that of your own composition? Oh God, no. No, no, no. Oh, no. so it was No, yeah, no, I was just hired. I started doing voiceovers in Omaha at like 15, um, because there was weirdly a Midwestern market for such things and a lot of regional companies were coming to Omaha to have these like commercial auditions. And then that turned into, I did a couple animated series for ABC because they were all non-union and they had sort of um, tapped the Vancouver talent pool at that point beyond you know what they uh, was available so they're like well let's try Omaha. Omaha. so i ended up doing two series in high school like saturday morning cartoons That's amazing. and did a lot of voiceover work and you
0: did that when you got here as well
2: i did i continued to do that through i mean i still i'm about to do a voiceover in uh, like an hour and a half for oh. what for a series called big mouth on netflix yes yes <laughs> We're recording our third season now. Only one has aired. The second season will air in September. But it's this... um, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney um, have written this very funny, very dirty show about middle school. Um, And it's really great because it does tackle very sort of serious issues about adolescence, but it's also very funny. Um, But they cover a lot of ground. I mean, they do. We We just finished a a whole episode about Planned Parenthood and about birth control. And, you know, they sort of, they sneak in these messages in a really brilliant way. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily recommend, like, kids watching it. But I think as someone who, like, if you're working with young people, it's an interesting insight as to how their minds work. So back to your entry to
0: New York City, you were in school, you were auditioning and Mm -hmm. doing... Uh, a bit of voiceover
2: work at the same time. I was. Um, and how, what was your first job? Um, I uh, My first, like, summer stock job uh, after my freshman year of, of uh, college was the theater barn. Um, that's right. Was in it a new, barn? It was an actual barn. It was a, it was a barn. goddamn barn. Um, <laughs> uh, in New Lebanon, New York, in the Berkshires. Um, but it was a good season. I did the Fantastics. It was me and Jen Gambatis and Steve Kazee. Um, it was a good, that's it was good. Greece. And it's, it's fun. There's still Galen Gilliland. Uh, wow. We did Greece together. So there's still people from that summer that are still around. But that's also a really interesting part that I get. I mean, not to scare kids away from doing this, but um, telling them that, you know, most of the people that I came up with when I was in my early 20s, they don't do this anymore. And even people like, you know, I had a friend who graduated from Juilliard, two people from his Juilliard class are acting. Two. And most of them immediately left the business. My friend Zuzana, same thing at ART. Like I think she's one of three people in a class of 15 who still act. Um, So, And for whatever reason that is. But it's harder than I think people... The business part of it is much harder. So you can take all the classes you want. You can do all that stuff. But the second you get here and you start getting rejected, I think that proves to be way too much for most people. So you really have to have the desire to do it and then also the thickest skin possible. Yeah, the spark of joy that you're talking about, which I think is crucial. but I certainly went through, I mean, I stopped auditioning for two years because I just couldn't, I was like, I'm tired of getting close to things and then not getting it. What did you do during those 2 years? Voiceovers. I did I worked for a company um called 4Kids that did like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and I there was enough work. I ended up sort of directing for them, directing the voiceover side of things for 2 years. And then Bernie Telsey like he called me in for a couple auditions and I was you know years after I had stopped and I was like, "Well, maybe I still want to do this." And I went on I quit my job because I was 20. I I think it hit me all of a sudden that I was like, well, you're only 24. Like, maybe just get back in there. Um, So I did. (laughs) And then I, like, shortly after booked Hairspray. But I felt at that time, because I had been in the city for five years, I felt so old. I was like, I'm not a kid anymore. I got a... But it turns out when the theater is big enough, you can still play a teenager (laughs) at 24. I mean, I played Elder Price when I was Thirty-one, and I was supposed to be nineteen. So I was like, "This is great. I got to keep doing this." It works. Yeah. Um,
0: it's interesting that uh, that you had that moment of feeling like you have to step out of it. And do you yeah. think any of that was because you went to school in the city? Yeah, absolutely. You start. You didn't give yourself enough time to cook. Really?
2: Yeah. And I. But I think that you know everybody sort of goes through it in different ways. Like, uh, you know, one of my closest friends is Gavin Creel, who had a very sort of idyllic time at University of Michigan, came to New York, started working immediately. But then he had, you know, his hiccup in his mid-20s where he was like, I don't I don't know if I can do this anymore. Because even if you have, you know, I think... And it was the same with a lot of people that I did hairspray with. That like, when you book a job right out of college and then that job ends and you realize, oh, shit, I'm just back in the talent pool. I mean, that's the most sort of humbling thing about this business is that you see people that, like win Tony Awards or are nominated for Tony Awards and then you're auditioning right next to them and you don't have any credits and you're like why the fuck are you here um, <laughs> but that's part of it that's all part of it yeah, yeah. I, I, this is kind of this a... has really taken a turn
0: <laughs> I'm sorry we'll return to happen. inspiration soon sorry
2: <laughs> just don't do it kids
0: If you still believe in what you're doing, you do keep coming back to it. And even if you are not acting and auditioning uh, for theater and you're directing voiceovers, that's still fantastic and and a rare opportunity, I think.
2: Well, I felt like I was still in the game enough that I was like, I'm paying my bills doing something that seems kind of artistic, even though it was Yu-Gi-Oh. But... um, But you know, I still felt like I was doing something in the entertainment industry.
0: You were telling stories and of a kind,
2: your... yeah, of a kind. I, have, I haven't watched it.
0: You um, don't need to. Okay. <laughs> need so, to. Hairspray was your first
2: like big Broadway yeah. role. Yep. You were playing Link. I was playing Fender, who's the boy with glasses. Yes. And then, <laughs> um, and I was understudying Link Larkin, Corny Collins, and a track they called the male authority figure um who just plays all you, yes I, I, that's done a lot in schools now right hairspray yeah so i understood all of those they told me i would never go on for the male authority figure um i was understudying jim j bullock and i was 26 years old and i went on a lot um and just like crazy wigs and like i was like the the character guy So a little
0: trial by fire. Yeah. But every
2: night I would go on, Julie Halston, if you know this actress, Julie Halston, who's really wonderful, she would look at me and go, this is the saddest night on Broadway. (laughs) Because it looked like a high school production of me being, I was like, I'm playing like a 70-year-old man. (laughs) It's terrible. Terrible. (sighs) But I did it. But I did it. It was a good experience. And then eventually, I uh, the guy I understudied, Richard Blake, who was playing Link Larkin, he left, and then they moved me up to that role. So I did that for a while. Fantastic. And how long were you in Hairspray overall? A year and a half total. I did nine months in the ensemble and nine months as Link. Yeah. It's a great run. It was a great run.
0: And then uh, immediately afterwards?
2: No, then there was like a stretch of like... I don't know eight months where I wasn't really working, and I went back to like regional theater as you do because the Broadway jobs weren't coming. So, which I did the-
0: in and of itself
2: is a great thing.
0: Regional yeah. theater is yeah. is not nothing.
2: No, 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 no. And it was a good. There were great shows, and I got to work with great people. And um, again, people that are still working and directors that are still working. So it was a, it was and all in the long run was was great. But it felt very when you're in the Finger Lakes, it feels very far from Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> And That's like, very regional. This is yeah. dark. Okay. <laughs> this is a dark day when you're doing Miss Saigon with like half of a helicopter, and you're like, things aren't going well. <laughs> but, but I did it. Um, and then after that, uh, was that an actual production? Yeah, with a half yeah. a helicopter. Half a helicopter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Miss Saigon. <laughs> I just really wanted to be Chris in Miss Saigon. I was like, well, I guess I'll do it in the Finger Lakes. Um, and then I got Jersey Boys uh which was a company in San Francisco that sat in San Francisco for a while and then I toured for a bit and then opened that com- a new company in Toronto and was there for several months and then they brought me to Broadway for 6 months so that was again like 2 years of doing Jersey Boys um and by the way like the, one of the happiest times of my entire life was doing that show
0: yeah it's a it's a yeah. great show and a really it's good a role show. for you thanks
2: um I was not Frankie Valley, I was Bob Gaudio <laughs> <laughs>
0: How how did you first become associated with uh, Trey and Matt?
2: Uh, Just through an audition for the Book of Mormon. They called me. It was like, you know, uh, I had done an out-of-town workshop of Little Miss Sunshine, a musical version of Little Miss Sunshine. I had done uh, Lysistrata Jones in Dallas And both of those were sort of circling, and I was waiting to see if either one of them were gonna have a life after that. And then I got, I was working at the Paper Mill Playhouse doing Smokey Joe's Cafe, also felt very far away from Broadway. Um, But it's not that far. It's not that far, turns out. That train is quick. Um, (laughs) But uh, I got an audition for this, it was called the Untitled South Park Musical. And they were like, do you want to go in for this? And I read the breakdown, and I was like, well, I'm supposed to be 19. Like, I can't be 19. And this actress, Maya Wilson, who I was working with, had done the last workshop, and she was like, just go in. She was like, you're going to get it if you go in. So I went in, and like, it was the, one of the fastest audition process. I, I met with them two times in New York. They flew me to Los Angeles to read with Josh Gad. Um, and then I had the job, like, the next day. It was... The whole thing took, like, maybe a week, um, which is so rare. And I had been through these, you know, processes with other shows. Like, Sarah Jones took, like, a month to cast it. Like, it was just taking forever. And then here was this show, and those guys were just so decisive that they were like, all right, you can do it. Like, you're the guy. And it was just so fast. And then all of a sudden, we were doing a workshop, and then it happened very quickly.
0: Did you feel similarly when you read the script? Did you know that you sparked to the material? Yeah. Well,
2: I knew that I could do a thing. I didn't know if it was going to be the the version that they wanted. But the second I read it, I was like, I know how I would do this. It was very clear to me that, like, I was like, this is how I would approach this. Um, but not knowing them and not knowing the project, I mean, they wouldn't send the script out. So I had to go to Jim Carnahan's office and sit in a conference room and read it. And then they they took my phone... And, oh, wow. yeah, they took my phone, and I had to sit alone in a conference room and read it. And then they were like, you can take as long as you want. Um, <laughs> and I read it, and I was like, okay. Uh but they wouldn't give me any... Like, I couldn't take home sides. I couldn't... You had to cold-read everything. How different
0: yeah. was the script that you read that day in the conference It was room? pretty
2: different. Trey and Matt and Bobby Lopez, they really... They work very hard to sort of fine-tune and fine-tune and fine-tune. So we went through many versions. Even through previews, the show changed quite a bit. So it was exciting to get to be a part of that because I had never... I mean, even new musicals I had done. James Lapine is a fantastic director and an amazing writer. Um, his changes were... a a little slider, I guess, in the long run, like little, like lines would change here and there. And Bill Finn was writing the music for Little Miss Sunshine. And, but Trey and Matt would come in with like a whole new song. So like a brand new ending. And then we would just rehearse it and then do it that night in front of an audience. And it was, it was terrifying, but really thrilling.
0: Was it the same basic story, the same kernel of an idea Yeah, yeah. Um, about faith? and
2: Yeah. That always kind of ended in the same way about, you know if, if I don't know if, who's seen the Book of Mormon, but it ends with sort of saying like faith is a wonderful thing. It can get in the way of you know people's judgment and people's acceptance of others. But if it is teaching you to be a better person, then it doesn't really matter what the specifics are. You can, you know, I mean, they make up a whole religion based on like Star Wars characters and Star Trek characters, you know, and it but it teaches these people to be better. So that was their big takeaway from. You know, from the show was that it, it can be a helpful tool, but it can also be very damaging. So that that's sort of the play under the play, and they
0: that was consistent. Yeah, that was always um, consistent. Well, did you know when you started performing that it was going to sort of light up the world the way it did? No,
2: we thought... We were all very confident that it would find an audience. We certainly didn't think it would still be running eight years from then, and touring in Salt Lake City and, you know, like... <laughs> I don't think anybody expected that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we thought we were like we'll find an audience, we'll have a nice run on Broadway, like but it's probably not going to be a huge hit because it's it was so it seemed so polarizing and then we very quickly realized that all the shocking stuff that we thought was so shocking like more people feel that way than we realized. So,
0: so it was like it was cathartic. For it was, to to watch. yeah.
2: They embraced it. So you knew
0: right when you got to New York that uh that something major was happening
2: today. yeah I mean we opened cold on Broadway we did a workshop and then just opened it so nobody had seen anything nobody had heard anything which was really exciting and a, a- cool way to do it it was also the internet was not quite as damaging as it is now because people watch things out of town and post videos and and things die before they even get a chance because you get one bad clip of like a you know some bootleg of a show that's out of town that's supposed to be working out kinks and that makes its way around all those damn websites and then people are like well i hear it's trash and like then the reputation before anything even sets foot in new york is sort of ruined um so luckily for us, we were very protected. And um, what? Uh, how did that change your career? I mean, it really it changed everything. I I immediately like opening night. Lena Dunham was in the audience, and she was like, "Do you want to come be on this, my new TV show, Girls?" Um, that which nobody on opening night. Opening night. So I filmed my first episode like a month after we opened, um, and then that continued all through the summer, and then in the fall. Ryan Murphy was like, Would you like to be the lead of a TV show on NBC? Um, which was crazy. Uh so yeah, it really changed everything. Yeah. I mean, the NB, you know, the NBC show, even though it didn't run very long, was like such a great experience and learning experience about how that part of it works. Cause girls was very that was a as a first TV job, it was the perfect job for me because it was so, it felt very small and we felt very safe and, um, but on a network schedule, things just move much faster, so. um, So
0: for the NBC show, did you shoot that in front of a live audience?
2: We did not, and it it was a single camera show, so I moved out to LA. Josh Gad and I weirdly got pilots at the same, like the same week. We shot them at the same time. We came back to Book of Mormon. They both got picked up for NBC. And then we left on the same day. Um, So it was a really sort of unheard of experience for a Broadway show that we would both get these opportunities.
0: Right off on on the heels of that. Yeah. Um, One more thing about the show is interesting. When you first joined the cast, was Jason directing?
2: Jason Moore was directing, yeah. Um, And they had been through like three other actors at that point. So it felt very tentative. Like, I didn't feel like... They didn't offer me a Broadway contract. They offered me a contract for a workshop. So I knew that they had no problem firing whoever was playing this part. Um, Yeah, so that put me immediately on edge and also made me raise the keys of all of the songs. (laughs) So no one else could ever do the role. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, let's take it up. And they were like, are you sure? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Let's make this as hard as possible. That was my insurance. That was my insurance policy. You've been
0: responsible for the wreckage of many Uh young male voices. Yeah, people curse me in the streets. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So um, how was uh, your performance sort of shaped by that first workshop with Jason? Because they switched directors after that. Well,
2: I never even got to work with Jason. Jason cast me in the show, and then there was a little bit of a... Contract kerfuffle, I guess, is the cleanest way to say it. And then Jason Moore uh, was not a part of the production, and Trey Parker uh, was directing it with Casey Nicola, who's also going to choreograph it. So I didn't even get a chance to work with Jason on it. Um, and the show is always, um, yeah, it was Casey and and Trey for me. Yeah, I was just curious how that changed, if, yeah. if if at all, how it changed. Well, Trey sort of like we sort of stayed very tight. Casey obviously had a lot of work to do, so my performance was very much shaped by Trey Parker and the notes he gave and the writing he gave me, and and he was very observant with all of us to sort of see us, like, watch us interact in the room and um, pull things that, you know, just from our own personalities and sort of put that into the character, which was, you know, super generous and not always the case. So every day it's, it felt like it was becoming more and more in our bodies and kind of more and more us, I guess.
0: Do you uh, remember any specific notes he gave you that were helpful?
2: I mean, broad strokes. Um, no, I don't, yeah. I mean, I yes, I remember like a lot of, but probably things that shouldn't be repeated. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, <laughs> so once you found yourself in, in Hollywood, um, Doing New Normal. Uh-huh. Um, did you picture that that was going to be the rest of your career, that you would stay out there?
2: And- no. I mean, I think that the good thing at that age, I was 33. Um, I think I knew just from working in theater for so long that, like, everything has a closing. So I didn't walk into that thinking, like, oh, I'm going to be on this show forever. I, I was in the same thing with girls. Like, we, it was always very moment-to-moment. That I think we were all very aware that like this could go away at some point and you have to be. And that's the thing about that I was so grateful having a decade plus behind me before I got that opportunity because I knew how grateful I should be. Because this doesn't always happen, and this isn't always the case. And I wasn't owed anything. I didn't – just no one owed me this career, or I didn't – it's not that I just walked in and deserved a job. You have to work at it, and you have to be focused, and you have to be, you know, committed to whatever the project is. So at that point, I was, you know, working very hard, but also knew – it could go away at some point.
0: That's a theme that comes up a lot over these sessions, just gratitude. Um yeah. And it, it goes so far as uh, to be the subject of a class that apparently they give oh. at University of Michigan. Oh, really? Uh, for the musical theater program. It's the first class they all take is in gratitude. That's very um, nice. And literally how to write a thank you note. Um, you'll That's hear important. about it tomorrow on Path to Broadway. That's important. Um, uh, this current show that you're doing, Boys and the Band, mm-hmm. um, how did that, Come to be? Did they just come to you with the offer?
2: Yeah, Joe Mantello and and Ryan Murphy uh, reached out to me and you know asked if I knew the show, Uh, and I knew the movie. I didn't really know the play at all, Um, but I was told it was very similar. And it was the you know Mark Crowley who wrote the uh, stage play also wrote the screenplay, so like it's very similar. And would we just do? It was a one day reading that they assembled in New York. So we came. I was already here, I guess. We did one day. Um, Joe went away with Mart and Ryan and they sort of talked about what would, you know, how we could sort of streamline it or make it a little more, not current, but there was a lot, the beginning of it it takes place in 1968. And there's a lot of explanation about what being a homosexual was and also what analysis is, which analysis for homosexuals at the time was a really big deal. was sort of a version of conversion therapy which was to just get you to not be gay um or to work around that with some sort of like acceptance but also don't acknowledge it um so there was a lot of talk about that and that was the stuff that we sort of trimmed out because it was just very it was a lot of explanation about that um and then the show became instead of two acts it became one act um we did another reading of it and then we did a production
0: same cast
2: um. Yeah. Same cast. Yeah. A couple changes. There were a couple changes. But yeah. And but what- the four of us, Matt and Zach and um, Jim and I, were all there for the whole, for all of it.
0: Um, can you talk a bit about the rehearsal process?
2: Yeah. Joe Mantello um, is such a brilliant director. We had the luxury. Of, we rehearsed in Los Angeles, which was sort of odd. But Jim was finishing The Big Bang Theory that season, so he had to. We had to be in L.A. But they, the Center Theater Group, um, we rehearsed there, and they gave us this great space, right, Morgan? Um, That was basically we were rehearsing on the set from day one. So that really frees up a lot of time when you're like, this is the set. And Joe had us all come off book, um, which was also very helpful because then we don't, you're not struggling with, we did a couple days of table work before we started, but everybody knew what they were saying.
0: Was, is that difficult for you to memorize? Yeah. To memorize without context.
2: Yeah. Sometimes without like knowing where I'm going like, you know, uh, you could know it sitting down and then the second someone says, now stand up and pour a drink and walk over there, you're like, what's the line? Um, so there was a, a fair amount of that, but we were all ahead of the game and nobody was walking around with a script in their hand, which was really helpful. And how long did you rehearse? Four weeks? Uh, yeah. Four weeks in L.A. And then we had 10 days of tech, roughly, a week of tech. Shit, that was fast. Um, yeah, but it all came together, like, I gotta say, like, from my perspective, it was not, uh, it was pretty smooth, the transition into the theater, and uh, people were working very hard to make it that way, um, so when we came into the theater, the set was virtually finished, and we just walked onto this beautiful stage. That must have been amazing, because you had been working on the set for four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So we felt very at home with that. Um, and what um what are the relationships like between the cast members on stage and off? I mean, do they mirror each other? Is that camaraderie? Um...
2: Yeah, very much so. Most of us knew each other. Michael Washington and I met um our senior year of high school. Uh Zach uh and Matt Bomer went to undergrad together. Jim and Brian Hutchinson went to grad school together. I've known Robin just from being around, you know, in the you know, on the streets. Um yeah, it was a pretty. and then tuck i Tuck Watkins, I didn't know, but Tuck was friends with Joe and Tuck knew Brian. And so it was a it was just a crazy um that we all sort of had some sort of relationship or some sort of you know, at least touchstone with each other that we could just sort of launch into that.
0: Uh, he made a decision to cast uh, gay actors mm-hmm. in these roles. How do you think that uh, comes into play in in um, in the final product or or in the process?
2: Well, in the process, I feel like there's just a little bit of a shorthand because nobody needs to explain or talk about what that is to be gay or how would I feel about, you know, like there's, it's just, it was a little more street. We sort of got to jump ahead a little bit, I think. Um, On, I think the larger point on Ryan Murphy's part was that the original cast, most of them were not given the option to be out. Um, And if the handful that did were very much, professionally punished for that. So I think Ryan wanted to make the statement that we now live in a time where all these are nine actors who all work very consistently who are out. And isn't that a huge step forward 50 years later that we have this? So it was less about the acting and I think more about I mean, I, I, hopefully we're all good actors, um, but but we were. I think it was also sort of a statement as to sort of how far we've come, and that the talent pool is such uh, that you could find nine gay actors, and, and the truth of the matter is you could find them several times over, really. Um, so I think that was a big part of that decision to you know say like we're going to cast out gay actors in this play, and
0: um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. when the original. Premiered, it was uh,
2: pretty scandalous. Yeah. It it was definitely uh, subversive work. And they were, you know, very much celebrated and then forgotten. So the play opened in 1968 and was this huge hit and they got all this attention and then a movie came out with the exact cast, which was very rare, in 1970. And then no one could get a job again. I mean, and eventually several of them did, but a lot of them did not. So um, I think they were built up and then you know, dropped to do one thing.
1: You've been listening to the Broadway Teachers Podcast, recorded live at the Broadway Teachers Workshop, an annual program that brings theater teachers together with the Broadway community for behind-the-scenes classes, workshops, intimate discussions, and Broadway shows in New York City and online. Learn more at www.broadwayteachinggroup.com.